Welcome everyone, I'm Lauren Hawkins. Thanks for tuning in with us to Spirituality Adventures. We are so glad you're here and we're very excited about the content we get to share with you through our blogs and podcasts. Spirituality Adventures is made possible by your support. One way you can support us is by liking, following, subscribing, or sharing any of these podcasts or blogs that you like. Another way you can support us is by going to our website, www.spiritualityadventures.com. There you can click the support tab and you can sign up for a monthly subscription or a one-time gift. We appreciate all your support. Now here's Fred. Welcome everybody to Spirituality Adventures. This is a non-judgmental place to explore spirituality. And in today's interview, we are so happy to have Dana Masters with us today. Welcome, Dana. Thank you so much. How's everybody doing? <laughs> yeah. So Dana is in Ireland right now. I'm in Kansas yeah. City and Dana's in Ireland. Which which town are you in? Uh, that's really a good question. I'm actually not in a town. I am in the tiniest village. Our village doesn't even have a shop. We have to go to the next village over to go to a tiny shop. So my village is called Finnis. And uh, yes, yeah, on the side of a mountain. <laughs> <laughs> I've been to that side of the mountain once. Yeah, you about have. three years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but there was not a house there at that time. There wasn't. There's definitely a house now, which I'm glad of because it is snowing today. In April, it is snowing. Wow. Yeah. Are you still considered a part of Lagland Valley? Lagland Valley Vineyard. Yes. Yeah, so um, as far as like a, a, the vineyard or, or just the just area. Just your home where you're at oh, right yeah. now. Yeah. Yes. And you know what's really cool is that our house overlooks the entire Lagan Valley. So we used to live down in the valley and now we overlook the valley. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Beautiful. Well, I remember I went mountain biking with one of your friends while I was there yep. up in what was the name of that mountain that we mountain biked on? Valley Oh, oh, I forgot the name of it now. Was it Silent? It wasn't Silent Valley. I don't think so. It was a mountain right. range. Any rate, well, I had a little accident. You did. You came <laughs> back bloody <laughs> to my house. <laughs> well, you know why? So in Ireland, I didn't realize the mountain bike brakes are reversed. And so my yes. my front brake was my rear brake, and my rear brake was my front right. brake. And so I... I dropped down off a ledge and normally I would be hitting my back brake to pull myself backwards. And I instead hit my front brake and it just launched me into the rocks like Superman, except it didn't, I didn't fly. I didn't fly. So (laughs) I feel like, I feel like someone should have told you that. Like, (laughs) did we not know? It's like driving on the wrong side of the road. Like do people not know? Like when you get here, to Ireland, the the brakes are in a completely different place. Do you know what I mean? They, I think he told me. But see, the thing is, is right. you you've been riding a bike yeah. one way your whole life, and it's it's total instincts. There's like no way you could yeah. mentally uh, wire that into your brain just by a verbal. Yeah. Oh yeah, by the way, the brakes are reversed. <laughs> yeah. That makes sense. Like yeah. in emergency, you just do. Yeah, what you just do what done. you've done. Yeah. 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 So yeah, hard wiring of the brain. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Dana, I, I, um, I'm going to tell just quickly how we how we met. All right, mm-hmm. and then I and then I would like for you to share just some of your personal story growing up in America, kind of your family, your. Your family history is so fascinating to me. I was I had the privilege of meeting your mom and hanging out with yeah. uh, your mom out in Colorado. Mm-hmm. And the crazy thing was, was I was at a pastor meeting, and I didn't know your husband Andy. And we were seated at a table next to each other. And rather than talking about church stuff, I usually ask pastors, you know, hey, what do you do for fun? 
It's like one of my favorite questions because pastors usually just talk about church stuff, right? And so, yeah, definitely. And Annie goes like, "Well, I rock climb," and I'm like, "What? No way!" Like, I, you know, I'd been a pastor for over 30 years, and I'd I've asked that question of pastors all over the world, you know, thousands of pastors, and he's the first one that said rock climbing, and I'd been rock climbing since I was a teenager. So I think we talked for about rock climbing for about an hour and a half. And then, yeah. it, and then it was like, so tell me about your family. Like you're, are you married and you know, kids and then like, what does your wife do? And like, oh, she sings. And it's like, I'm thinking worship singer. And he, so what kind of singing? And he's, he's like, oh, she sings with Van Morrison. I'm saying, what? A rock climbing pastor has a wife who sings with Van Morrison. This is like, this isn't even real. This is not real. This is too good to be true. So I literally told him, I said, I'm going to bring you, and then we, you know, because I knew he had never rock climbed in Colorado. And so I, I yeah. put the scheme together, like, I'm going to bring you guys in, let Dana sing, you preach, then we'll drive to Colorado, and we'll go rock climbing and hang out. Yep. And we did it. We made it happen. We did it. <laughs> you made it happen. I remember when he came home from that, whatever that pastor's gathering was, and most of the time he comes home and, you know, it's a bunch of church talk, but he was just so buzzed. He was like, I met this pastor who loves the mountains and rock climbing. We talked about that for hours. So it, it, it obviously had an impact on him <laughs> just finding someone who wanted to talk about something other than church. <laughs> exactly. It was so fun. All right. Well, let's, let's hear, where did you grow up and tell us about your family a little bit and, and uh, growing up African American on the East Coast with, with a with a family that was very much very. a part of the civil rights movement, give us give us a little bit of your family yeah. background. So I was born and raised in Columbia, South Carolina, and my family, both of my mother and my father's side, are all from South Carolina originally. My mother's family is from a small country town called Barnwell, South Carolina. And my father's family is from Charleston, South Carolina, sort of that area. Um, and growing up in South Carolina um, was lovely. I actually had a really good childhood. Um, so, so much of that was my family, my wider family's involvement in my life. Our, my childhood is marked by big family gatherings, you know, eating together sitting at a, at a table, hearing the same stories over and over and over again of how, what life was like for my mother and her siblings growing up through the civil rights um, era of the 50s and 60s. And, um, and so, so much of that just felt really normal. And it wasn't until I got, I was older and I left home that I realized that not every black family <laughs> had those types of stories and not every black family was as heavily involved in civil rights the way my family was. So my grandmother, um, Johnny Ruth Jenkins was, um, she passed away when I was 17, but she was the daughter of a black woman and a white man out in the middle of nowhere in South Carolina. Um, and she was very, very fair skinned. She had red hair. And I say all that to say that in her community, she grew up in the black community. She was, um, she did not blend in. She stuck out like a sore thumb. And, um, but she loved the community she grew up in. She loved it. She had a interesting childhood. Her mother was a very interesting woman, my great, my great grandmother, Razzie. Um, but she loved the community so much that when she became an adult, she decided that she would spend her life fighting for the rights and um, sort of the civil rights of her, the people in her town, the black people and the marginalized people in her town of Baltimore, South Carolina. And she did that so well that she um, actually was acknowledged by South Carolina government not too long ago. They named a highway after her and 
you know, she's, she's a bit of a legend um, in our state. But what that meant also, she had five children. And her five children, actually four of them, one of them was too old to do this because he was just a senior in high school. But all four of them were the first children in their um, county to, de- to desegregate the school system. So my mother at eight years old um, did her own civil rights activism and desegregated the local white school. And you can imagine that that was traumatic for an eight-year-old to do. Um, but she did it and she, um, it, it's an incredible story actually. It, it blows my mind having children realizing that these children were on the front lines of a war that was going on in America, um, of a civil rights war. And I don't think we would ever think to put children in those places, but these children, they were the only ones who could do it. It wasn't like the adults were going to desegregate the schools, the primary schools and the high schools. It was the children who did that. And they, um, they, they paid a high price to do that, you know. So that's, that's kind of how I grew up with all of that just being like normal stories around my family table at Christmas and Thanksgiving and Easter and every other holiday that we decided to get together and eat way too much food. These are the stories that I grew up with. So, yeah, it was an interesting upbringing. You, you did a TEDx talk in uh, Stormont back in 2014. Mm-hmm which I've probably watched mm-hmm. five or six times. And mm-hmm. you talked about, you know, I think you're, I think you said, did you know you could change the world by telling stories around your dinner table? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I was, my dad's a storyteller and I love to tell stories, love to hear stories. And I was, I was like, Oh, I love that. And yeah, so I, I, I was, I, I loved the, I loved the idea of the dinner table telling stories. Absolutely. You break bread together and, uh, yeah, share you stories. break bread together and you pass on. For me, it was about passing on the legacy and the heritage, you know, um, I often talk to friends of mine about how that time in my life has shaped me so much as a person because I never feel by myself when I'm moving throughout the world. And it's because of these stories that were passed down to me, I I genuinely feel the presence of the people who went before me. Mm. who did really tough things. And so when I am faced with doing something that feels incredibly hard for me, I never have this sense of being alone. I feel surrounded Mm. by the presence of the people who went before me who did harder things. Do you know what I mean? And that's a really powerful feeling. That's yeah. amazing. It's like that passage in Hebrews surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. Absolutely. That have gone before us. Yeah. That shapes us. And it's funny because I don't think I really ever, you know, we hear passages like that from scripture and you hear it so often. But when you realize that the people who would have been reading that letter Um, the writer of that letter, they're from a culture of storytelling. Storytelling was so important. And I think that's what storytelling does. It, you can, you can go to university and sit in a lecture hall and get a bunch of information, which is great. I love university. I went to university, (laughs) but information and a story are two very different things. Stories become a part of us. Yes. You know, they weave themselves in the fabric of who we are. So when you're from a culture that tells stories as a part of who they are, 
you are literally, I tell my children these stories that were told to me and you're, you're weaving into the fabric of who they are. Um, things they will need for the future, mm. you know? I, so. I love that. That's awesome. So um, where, where'd you go to university? I went to university. So I grew up as, back to my childhood. I grew up in the black community, one foot in the black community, one foot in the suburban white community where I went to high school. Um, as you all know, like in, in the, in the States, you need to be living in a certain neighborhood to go to a good school. So my mom, who ended up being a single mom for most of my childhood, sacrificed and worked three jobs to be able to afford to live in one of the best school districts in our state. So I went to school and I was constantly always surrounded by white people, lovely white people, some of my best friends and all this good stuff. And so we ended up going to an Assemblies of God church because my mom for her felt like diversity was really important in my life, that I wouldn't grow up in this sort of mono culture, whether it be the black culture or white culture. So the Assemblies of God church that I went to was about 50% white people and 50%, you name it, everything else under the sun. And that was, I didn't realize this at the time, but that is very rare for an Assemblies of God church. It is. is very very White, rare middle-aged male yes yeah just rare in you know. general in america in right? general for yeah. church exactly exactly and so i i grew up in this very strange culture and because of that um some the assemblies of god movement or denomination in america has a number of universities and um i got offered a scholarship to go to one of their universities it's in minneapolis minnesota and um i studied music and vocal performance. I didn't do the whole um, sort of Christian education side of it as far as, you know, I wasn't going into ministry. So I was in their liberal arts college. Um, and so I went to university in Minneapolis, Minnesota for four years. So I'm used to the snow a little bit. <laughs> ah. Yeah, that's a cold place. What was the name of the university mm -hmm. there? Um, it's called North Central University. North Central. And funny enough, okay. it it was I, when um, George Floyd had, they had a memorial for George Floyd in Minneapolis. It was held at that university. I don't know why. I don't know what the connection was, but huh. I just remember seeing it on the news. And I was like, that's where I went to school. Wow. It was quite I was, interesting. I was actually proud of them. I was really proud of them for doing that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, well, I know news wouldn't have traveled all the way to Ireland, but I graduated from Baylor University, and I know they that is, yeah. and uh, we we will release this podcast several weeks after we do it. But Baylor just won the NCAA national basketball championship last night. <laughs> oh, I had to wow. slip that so in somewhere buzzing. today. Anyway, <laughs> that's all right. Yeah, you are anyway. buzzing. <laughs> yeah, go Baylor. Oh man. Anyway, well, um, so you went from Minneapolis and how, so tell us about how you and Andy met. Yeah. So I graduated from, um, school in Minneapolis and, and I just thought I'm not going to go back to South Carolina and I want to go someplace I've never been before and learn see if I can stand on my own two feet someplace that's very different from where I've lived before. So I decided to go, it was either going to be New York or LA. And I spent my summers as a child in New York city. So I decided I've been there and done that. I'll go to LA. Never been to LA. I don't know anyone in LA. So my parents, uh, my mom got me remarried by that time. I had an, I have an amazing stepdad. My parents gave me a car packed it full of my stuff and I drove by myself from South Carolina to Los Angeles, California. Wow. And did an yeah, and did an internship there. For That's like going from one end of the there. island to the other and then some. <laughs> and then a lot oh, some. <laughs> it's many times over. Yes. Yes. Oh my. What a ride. All right. So yes. LA. 
So I got there. I did an internship for a charity that was so random. It was about missing people, finding missing people. I just did an internship with them. And then I ended up getting uh, employed by a commercial real estate company um, that owned most of the high rises in Los Angeles, California. And uh, I worked for them for about a year. And then someone I knew, I met in LA, said, you should come to church with me. You'd like my church. And I thought, okay. And so we, we meet in a nightclub whatever. I said, okay, I'll come with you and ended up in this nightclub going to church and ended up being in this church called Mosaic. And I never left that church. And a few months after I started going to that church, I got hired. I I was offered a full-time job to work at that church. Hmm. So I worked there for most of my time in LA and my husband, my now husband, Andrew came two years after I'd gotten to LA to do um, like a master's program that the church had going with one of the big um, theology schools in California. And that's how we met. Wow. So he he, came from Ireland. Yeah. Did he, did he come to connect with Mosaic? Is that where he, yeah, he came, he came, yeah, he came to do that program with mosaic and at that stage it was called golden gate seminary and i think it's called something else now yeah i'm familiar with that seminary i've been there i I also had dinner with erwin mcmanus one night too yeah in in colorado by (laughs) that's so random yeah yeah well um he was the pastor of mosaic for those who are listening in and so any rate or one of the pastors there well so you guys met dated Where'd you get married? Do two weddings, one in Ireland, one in America? We got married. We had had three weddings. How many (laughs) weddings did we have? We had so many weddings. (laughs) We are the most married couple you'll ever meet in your life. Jeez Louise. So we actually, our our official anniversary is uh, the 1st of November, but we got married in June of 2008, officially by my dad, my stepdad, um, who... We just need to do it legally. And then as soon as we got married, he literally got on a plane and went back to Ireland until we then got married again in South Carolina. That's when we had that, the big wedding. And then we left South Carolina and came back to Ireland because we moved with the whole plan was to move to Ireland right away. So that's what we did. Came back to Ireland, had another wedding. <laughs> that was after our honeymoon, actually. We honeymooned in Scotland, came back to Ireland, had another wedding. And um, in our family, we referred to it as the Wedding Olympics. So <laughs> That's right. Well, cool. Yeah. And then when what year did you start uh, Lagland Valley Vineyard? What year was that? So Lagan Valley Vineyard, that's a really good question. I, it's very generous to say that I helped start it. I was, I was there when it began. It began in my living room. Um, and that's, that's about all, the, the, all I can say that I did. I let them in the house. <laughs> <laughs> because I was having babies. I had, I had three children in 18 months. And my daughter was born in 2011. That sounds miraculous. It, it a I, had a set, I had a set of twins, just in case anyone's trying to do the math. Okay, now we get it. Now we get it. <laughs> I had a set of twins. So my daughter was born in 2011. Uh, uh, I, all I remember is that there were times we would go to church. It must We must have planned to church maybe in 2010 or something because there were times we would go to church and she'd be sleeping in the closet. Like we would we put a cot in the closet and put the monitor on and then um, do a church service in the storefront. But um, so, yeah, that must have been uh, 2000. Maybe it was 2011 we started the church. Um, so yeah, and Andrew, my husband is the pastor there. I I don't, I'm not on staff. I don't pastor or anything um, in the church, but it is my church. I love it. I go to it. Um, but yeah, that's been a crazy journey, also. Yeah. Well, let's let's talk about your music career a little bit. Um, 
Mm-hmm. You you have done some uh, solo projects, and then mm-hmm. at at some point you also connected with Van Morrison. Yes, and you've been so you've random. been traveling with him for what ten years now. No, not that long. Oh my gosh! Come on now, I'm not that old. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, I mean, no, you no, know, no, it's okay. If the it church, feels like ten years. No, well, I'm if the church, no, if you started the church in 2011, you know, so that's yeah. ten years ago. No, I I started touring with Van about six or seven years ago, um, and it's just so random how that happened. I I always describe myself as the most reluctant musician that ever did live um i feel like i've i spent my 20s in my early 30s trying not to be a musician unsuccessfully um (laughs) and part of that probably was because i did live in la and the whole culture around the industry whether it's the movie industry or the music industry was just it just it just isn't my personality like i'm just not I'm not that person. And I thought that meant that I wouldn't be a good musician. So I tried to do everything else but that. And I thought to myself, you know what? Um, I've fallen in love with this man. We're going to move to Ireland. That'll solve that problem. Because who in the world is going to hear me in Northern Ireland? It's like the (laughs) smallest, one of the smallest countries in the world. And so um, I got here. And turns out one of the few things I was actually qualified to do to get to, to make money was to sing. So I, I did that and that was fine. I even taught singing lessons for a little bit. Um, and I ended up doing this little jazz night every week with some incredible jazz musicians that needed a vocalist. And I did that for like a couple of years and it was amazing. The pay was horrible. The pay like barely paid for your diesel to get there and back. But it was so amazing because the people who came just really loved music. And it was, I, I developed a lot as a vocalist doing that. And I remember one time the guy who was in charge of that is a friend of mine named Lindley. He came up to me one night and he said, I don't want you to get nervous. Don't get nervous. Don't freak out. But I have to tell you something. I said, what? And I'm like, what is he about to tell me? And he says, Van Morrison is coming tonight. And I said, okay, who's Van Morrison? <laughs> you didn't. I didn't grow up. I didn't grow no. up on Van Morrison music. That's you know, funny. like and it's incredible music I know now, but you know, <laughs> I now know that he's known as kind of like blue-eyed soul kind of uh. thing. But when you grow up in the South in the States and you have like soul where it originated from no one's really looking for you know blue-eyed soul i I didn't grow up on van morrison i didn't at all and so um and so he started coming to those nights and then he asked me i was heavily pregnant actually with my twins at that stage and i think he waited until i gave birth and and looked semi-normal again and then he (laughs) said do you want to come do backing vocals (laughs) oh wow yeah. That's awesome though. And have you done a couple of recordings with him as well? I've done a lot of recordings with him. And yeah, I've done quite a lot of recordings with him actually. It's been really cool um, because anybody in the industry will tell you that being a backing vocalist is an, is an art form. And I, I wouldn't call myself a backing vocalist only because I wouldn't want to um, sort of <laughs> offend actual backing vocalists who know how to do it really well. But I've, I've, I've learned so much um, doing this gig um, about that art form and about studio recording and all that stuff. So yeah, I've, I've been on a few different recordings with him. Interesting. How, how would people uh, access some of that if, if they wanted to hear you on some of that um, stuff? Just yeah, if you want to hear me on some of Van's stuff, I think he has an album called Keep Me Singing. Um, an album called Roll With The Punches that I'm doing backing vocals on. A lot of his new stuff that's coming out at the moment. <laughs> love it or don't love it, I'm on it. Um, but yeah, it's most of the recent stuff. So the stuff that would have happened in the last five years, um, okay. I would be on that. 
Yeah. yeah. It was funny. You you were in America with Van, what, a year ago or something? Oh, I've been every year. Every since year. Since I really started yeah. touring, we've, we've been in America, yeah. yeah. So the last time you were here, uh, my, my brother-in-law's sister went and saw you live, and I don't even know which city she was in. She lives here in Kansas City, but I don't think you were in Kansas City, or else I would have probably gone to see you. But, no. but anyway, she went to see you somewhere. Maybe it was New Orleans. I don't. Maybe it was. Were you in New Orleans last time? Yeah, we yeah. were in New Orleans. I think uh, it was a few there. Years ago, yeah. And she came back, and she's like, "Man, I went to hear Van, and she had this amazing uh, gal singing with him, and she's just going on and on." And I, I, I you know, and I, I'm listening to her, and she says. I think you're talking about Dana Masters and she's going, I don't know her name. And I said, and I showed her your picture, you know, cause I had pictures yeah. of us in Colorado <laughs> and she's going, you know yeah, her. Yeah, oh my so gosh. Cool. You know, she was just flipping out. It was so funny. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's cool. And then you've, you've got a couple of EPs out right now or you, in 2018 crossing lines and yep. because of you, yeah. which, uh, which I love all of your stuff. It's so good. Oh, thank you. And your lyrics. Um, love your lyrics. Tell me, um, on your song on Crossing Lines, When I Was Queen, mm, tell me about yeah. that song. I've listened to it many times, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to see if I'm connecting with the thought behind that song. Oh, man. It's always like a bittersweet thing when someone asks you to tell you about what a song, a song. means to them because, <laughs> yeah, because, you know, part of me, I know what a song means to me, but once the song leaves me, it's, it means many things to different people. And I love that. And mm -hmm. I, and I like to protect that, but that, but that particular song, I wrote it. So when I grew up, right. I, I didn't, know about feminism that wasn't something that was talked about in my family i found that about that when i left home and part of that was because i never grew up being told i couldn't do something because i was a woman the in my family we were just trying to deal with being black for we didn't even get to the to the gender conversation yet it was just um being black really you know so as a woman growing up in my particular family, and I'm not saying this is true for all black women, but I felt really empowered as a woman. Um, I come from a family of women who accomplished incredible things and they're still accomplishing incredible things. And, um, and there was never a narrative of not being able to do that. So then when I left home and sort of uh, uh, started to hear other women's stories that didn't grow up the way I did, I, I think, Part of that song was just processing um, what I felt, what I felt like I was seeing, and I always tell people when I was queen is a song about a fictional time in history when the genders weren't sort of at war with each other, if you know what I mean. Like mm -hmm. there was no fear of a woman's power or a man's power, but there was two powerful genders coexisting and um, this pendulum not swinging from one um, extreme to the other. You know what I mean? And so, um, but then that idea that, I'm trying to actually remember because I was saying that song in so long. But yeah, I think that's in my head when I'm singing it, I see this incredibly powerful black woman who remembers this sweet time in history when she was able to be everything she is and not feel like she's a threat to someone mm -hmm. for it, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I don't know. What did you think it was about? <laughs> well, like, I, I thought it was about the Queen yeah, of I, England. <laughs> I listened to it several times. You know, when you, when you, when you preach a sermon, People get all kinds of things out of it too. <laughs> yeah. 
Absolutely. And sometimes not what you intend. Some, some, and sometimes some not what you, you intend. Exactly. Some things you don't want. Exactly. Yeah, like, I'm like going, you, you got like, that I'm out of what I just said? That. And you're like, going, I must not be a very good communicator, man. That's not what I was meaning, you know. <laughs> no, but there isn't. I love the yeah. artistic uh, component to how people experience and interpret art. And that's, that's, I think that's a beautiful part of artistic works. No, I was, I was trying to, I listened to it several times because I, I'm a, I love lyrics. And so I always, I I love music, but then I, I still love to listen to lyrics and read lyrics and all that kind of stuff. And so, yeah, I, I was guessing it was, I definitely guessing it was like on the feminist, uh, on the, the feminist movement of some connection to that um so i wasn't i didn't pick up on the on like a time way back when genders weren't at war yeah yeah but yeah i mean obviously the time it's it's a a fictional time but and funny i had a friend the other day asked me are you a feminist and i was like that was a hard question for me to answer because I, i feel like it's like someone asking you are you a christian and I, and I know that I am a Christian, but what I mean is the amount of definitions and the differing definitions on what that means. Exactly. You feel like you can't actually just say yes or no, because it means so many different things to so many different people. Right. Do you know what I mean? Oh, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. Yeah, because what I've gone through the last couple of years, it's like deconstructing Fred and then, you know. And, and I'm not mm. comfortable with too many definitions right now or too many boxes or anything like that. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, um, I, I love the fact that some of your songs deal with the, like carry you in kind of has that wounded healer yeah. feel to it. Like, um, yeah. you know, you had a line in one of your songs, take shattered dreams and make them new. And mm-hmm. just, just some of that, um, emotional healing, uh, and the, uh, that comes through in some of your songs is obviously help. It really connects with where I've been the last couple of years. Yeah. Um, I found it interesting too. I listened to your interview with, with Panty Bliss mm. and she is the, she is, um, how, how is she known in, in Ireland? Is, does she have some um, public that's image? A really good question. Yeah. So, Panty Bliss became, now I, I could be completely wrong, so fact check me here, but I believe that she is seen as like a public figure and a civil rights activist for um, the LGBTQ, et cetera, et cetera, community in Ireland. And there was a moment um, around when Ireland was on the cusp of voting for uh marriage rights, I think it was, or equal rights for the LGBTQ community to be married, that she came to the forefront of that and became almost like a spokesperson um, and sort of a figurehead um, for that community during that time. Um, And since then has gone on to sort of continue that and um, give voice to people. And she has an incredible podcast and all sorts of stuff. Yeah. And um, I, I, I think one person, uh, I don't know if this is accurate, uh, a drag queen of Northern Ireland mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. very much involved in, in some of the, uh, civil rights stuff that you just described for LD, LGBTQ. But I thought it was fascinating because she asked you, I think, I can't remember the title of the podcast, like skin, skin deep or skin deep. I think it was, right. wasn't it? Yeah. And she was, she was asking you about being black in Ireland and how, how, what your experience was, because I, I said this to you, um, before we came on air (laughs) about how, when I was there, even staying in your, you know, I stayed with you and Andy a few nights and you were literally one of the only black people I saw. I was in Ireland for two weeks and (laughs) so I was like, man, this is a white place, you know, because Cause can't Absolutely. I go like, since I've not been at my church that I was pastor of for some years, I actually attend the largest African American church in Kansas city, Missouri now. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's been kind of a, kind of a fun thing for me, <laughs> 
but yeah. Uh, yeah. but yeah, it's very white in Ireland. <laughs> so she asked you it about is. And growing I mean, up there, it, and it, your comments yeah. were really interesting to me. I think my comment surprised her a little bit because uh, for your listeners who may not know too much about the island of Ireland, the island of Ireland actually has two different countries on it. So you have the Republic of Ireland and then you have Northern Ireland and Northern Ireland technically is, is a part of uh, Great Britain and the United Kingdom. So our laws in our sort of society is technically run under the UK umbrella. Whereas the majority of the island, which is the Republic of Ireland, is its own country again. But there's very close relationship between all three of those sort of things. And so for me, I went down to the Republic to do that interview. And the and I was in Dublin, which is the largest city in the Republic of Ireland and has been is far more diverse than even our largest city in Northern Ireland. So their story around race began a lot sooner than Northern Ireland's story around race and, and color. Um, so they have a history that is a lot deeper um, than the history of the, the even the smaller country that I'm living in. So she was really surprised that um, for the most part, my experience has been really positive, but that doesn't mean that there hasn't been any negative things. It just means for me moving from South Carolina in the States, the level of racism here is so low that I for a long time wasn't even picking it up because I'd been so conditioned with sort of larger doses of racism, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. and more obvious forms of racism. And, and honestly, I don't even know if I would say that some of the stuff that I've experienced is racism as much as it is um, the kind of ignorance that comes from your country literally only having one race in it. And that's no fault of the... I mean, Black people don't want to live in the snow in April. Like, that's not something that you don't <laughs> traditionally find people of color, you know, coming to an island, you know, where it's snowing in April. And, um, you know, like this. So, <laughs> you know, the fact that I'm here is I'm literally looking at sheep grazing on my field out of a window. Those are my closest <laughs> friends outside of the people in my house right now. <laughs> you oh know? This is not a common black story. Right. Know? So, um, but yeah, it's been interesting being here for a large amount of time. And when I first moved here for the first, I want to say five, six years, I think I spent most of that time processing my experience in America because I would say to people sometimes, I think one of the biggest gifts you can give yourself is to live outside of your context for a long amount of time. Mm. Because I think that um, it's really difficult to assess and process and analyze your experience whilst you're still having the experience. Um, even emotionally, to, to be able to separate from my story growing up as a Black girl in the deep South in America, to not be that, to have that not be my only identity has been incredible because I've been able to actually process what my story actually was and, and what part did racism play in my life when I was growing up and living in America and living in LA and living in Minneapolis and in church, you know, I I don't, I don't think I ever really even thought about racism within my church context until I left the States. Cause that was a scary thing to really think about because those are people who I love dearly and I know love me dearly and to have to process how in a place where you love each other, there can still be dysfunction 
and that part of that dysfunction can be race related is painful you know mm. yeah that i mean i think that uh, it was interesting for me to hear that as well because um i, I think you even said that in some ways it was healing to be mm-hmm. in ireland uh, Absolutely. as you processed some of all of that there was a healing Absolutely. component to it i mean i'll tell you this ireland as a an island is a really in my opinion a very healing place i kind of i do you know what <laughs> i am so not a hippie and like so not one of these like you know Lucy goosey let's you know let's listen to the universe people and yet sometimes i am i you know <laughs> i catch myself i can't say that i'm not but i kind of have this belief that i think sometimes as human beings we get really into ourselves and we forget that the whole earth was created and i visit different places and you get things from different places, not the people, just the, the land. Mm-hmm. Like if you go out into nature and in Sweden, or mm-hmm. you walk through and go and see the wildlife in rural parts of South Africa or wherever, mm-hmm. you if you if you listen and if you sort of take time with nature, you get these like feelings of what's happening. And I'm I'm not really great in nature. I'm still learning to love nature and to take time with it. But now that I live literally in nature, we've plucked our house in the middle of nowhere on the side of a mountain. One of the things I've just realized is that this island is very healing. It's it's very healing. It's like a nurturer. It's like a it's like a mother. It's like come and I will huh. I'll patch you up. That's I one might, of the things that come. I've noticed here. I, I need and that's to, yes. I need, need to come to hang come out a little longer. <laughs> no, you know I love that. You know, the Celtic tradition talks about thin places. Where there's mm-hmm. there's places Absolutely. on Earth that where heaven and Earth touch. You know, like where mm-hmm. there's no discernible boundary between the two. Like you know, I we rented bikes and rode up to the giant causeway when I was there three mm-hmm. years ago and. I'm a big nature guy, obviously, with the, mm-hmm. you know, rock climbing and the mountain bike, everything I do, backpacking. But yeah, I I think there's something to that, Dana, that that nature yeah. is a place to connect um with with spirituality and with yourself, with others, with something beyond you. Yeah. And I think I I felt that. I think my you know, I I was with my three sisters. They left before I before I was, I saw you guys, but we all want to come back again. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, you're welcome. Yeah. You're welcome anytime. Beautiful. Well, let's let's. Uh, this is great. We could go on and on, but let's let let's try to do a. Let's see if our connection works well enough. Let's let's. Would you mind doing a song to kind of close us out and? Uh, Absolutely. And and um, I want people to know that they can. What's your website? Um, I just, I just put my website down because it needs updated. And so it's not active right now, but you can find me on Instagram at Dana Masters Music and the same on Facebook, Dana Masters Music. And I've got some new music coming out in the next few months that I'm really excited about and collaborations that I've been able to do with some orchestras here on the island. And, and, um, one, this song that I'm going to sing, I'm going to sing a bit of this song for you now that I actually did. You can find it on YouTube that I did with the RTE Orchestra around the winter solstice. Um, they were celebrating um, the winter solstice, and I did this song. And it's actually a song that I wrote to this island. Um, just my appreciation to the land and to the people and for having me and for... Um, being so kind and open to me. We have a lovely community here. And um, I find that Irish people, some of the most incredible people I've ever met. And so I wrote this song called um, Call You Home. And I'll do the first bit of it. And um, if you look it up, Dana Masters, Call You Home, you'll see it on YouTube. There's recordings of it, of it happening there. 
Is that okay? Awesome. Thank you. All right. Here we go. Lost my way in a desert land, searching for somewhere I could stand. High and dry, I crossed the sea, wasn't looking for home, but home found me. Wide open arms of your hills drew me in. I fell for your charms in your wild northern wind. And when you lay me down, you whispered soft and sweet, I'll be your home if you let me. And as high as your heavens and as deep as your seas, the winds of your kindness are blowing right through me. And when you hold me close, I whisper, Quietly, I'll call you home if you let me. I'll call you home if you let me. I'll call you home if you let me. Thank you. It's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, I've listened to that song several times, and it does. I think it does capture the that healing thing that you were talking about that the island has to it. Yeah. Some yeah. something yeah. magical about it. Absolutely. Good. Well, Dana, Absolutely. so so good to connect with you again. Thank you so much for doing our podcast. Um, Next time. Thank you so much for having me. It's lovely to see you and hear you. By the way, if like next time you have a trip to America, Mm -hmm. I want to, I want to bring, I want to, I want you to come to Kansas city. I want us to do an event together. Okay. Serious. I'm, I'm actually serious. So. Oh, I know you're serious because you're the same guy who said something like that before and it actually happened. I know this is serious. (laughs) All right. All right. Well, thank you so much. We'll stay in touch and tell Andy I said hello. And tell your kids I said ho too. Tell tell them the guy that punched the bear in the nose says hi. Oh, you are a legend in that house. (laughs) You are a legend. They don't know they don't know you by your name, but Andrew goes, You know the guy who could be like Yeah. <laughs> all right all right all right everybody thanks for all tuning right, in friend. to spirituality adventures and thank you dana we'll see you next time thanks again for tuning in remember to visit our support page at www.spiritualityadventures.com if you like what you heard be sure to share it and leave a comment thanks again have a great day Harvey media production